It is Thursday, November 7th, and welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast. This week is a subject that I've been really looking forward to ever since I saw Terminator Dark Fate a couple of days ago. Sitting across the table from me is the writer, director, and producer of the film Survey and returning guest, Mr. Steve Wise. How are you doing? Hey, Derek. How are you doing? Doing good. And also joining us via telephone, and I believe this is his fourth consecutive <laughs> appearance on the show, so I'm going to have to start charging him rent. Uh, the co-writer <laughs> of Monsters Anonymous and also starred in the film Survey, Mr. Jason Robbins. How's it going? Good. I should be uh, billed as permanent co-host at this point. What I should do is I should take my logo and find a, a PNG of a piece of tape and put it right under mine <laughs> and in handwritten font put and Jason Robbins experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could just be the Ed McMahon to his Johnny Carson and yeah. Uh, yeah. just laugh at everything that he says. You know. <laughs> You're correct, sir. <laughs> we all know he would be lying if he did that. <laughs> <laughs> So we are here to discuss the Terminator franchise. So from the very beginning, and we'll start with Steve, what is your first memory of seeing a Terminator film? Oh, I was a teenager and um, watching the first Terminator movie on VHS and just falling in love with it. And just, in fact, going back even further, I remember Siskel and Ebert's review of the Terminator. Oh, wow. And how they just loved it. And they, in fact, I think Roger Ebert said it was the best action film that he had ever seen. And it was like, oh, I need to see that. So I did not get a chance to see it in the theater. But when it came out on, on video, on home video release, uh, I was able to rent it and, uh, and watched it uh, repeatedly. What about you, Jason? Uh, first time I saw it was, it was actually on network TV. But it was, uh, it was the late night movie one weekend uh probably around probably around like 88 89 or so so the first time i saw it it was uh it was cleaned up for television like all the you know violent like stuff was cut out of it so i didn't actually see it like you know the, the original version of it until i'd say probably around the time that t2 came out because when terminator 2 came out i was man i was excited for that movie and I saw it like two or three times in the theater and I went to the video store, rented the original Terminator and copied it from VCR, VCR to VCR. And so I had a copy of it for the next couple of years that I watched over and over and over and over and over. <laughs> yeah, I was just telling Derek about um, T2 came out when I was in film school and I remember a group of us film students all went to see it. And of course, we all loved it. And one of the guys ended up buying the Laserdisc version. And I, I believe at that time it was the actual extended director's cut. And we watched it in the classroom of UCF's film department. Oh, I think that would be a perfect movie to watch in uh, film classes because I think of the perfect films ever made oh yeah it was just amazing and one of the guys had brought in a really great sound system with a big booming bass and you know we had it on a projector system watching it you know a fairly decent sized screen inside the classroom and uh, with that bass booming and the entire building would shake (laughs) yeah (laughs) but it was like the perfect that and aliens were like the two perfect movies to watch in that format well i know it's kind of jumping ahead but 
if you were to make a list of just the elite of films of its genre, those are two movies that have to be near the top of the list. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. For me, I actually saw T2 or parts of it before I saw the original. My parents were watching T2, and I had no idea what Terminator was. So they explained to me a little bit of what the story was. They said, you need to go back and watch the original. So I got the first Terminator on DVD. I was in, I think I was maybe a freshman in high school at that time. It was the early 2000s. Watched T1. I wasn't expecting it to look the way it did because it has that big movie look, which yeah. I think adds to it. Because yeah. you know, Steve and I were talking before we started. It's, to me, one of, if not the greatest B-movies ever made. Everything from the look of it, it just looks so dark and gritty and dirty. And the almost electronic-sounding soundtrack, to me, just really added a lot to it. Well, James Cameron pretty much um, coined a phrase called tech noir, and that's yeah. really what the first film in particular the second film to a large degree also um but the first film really hit that tech noir type of feel um it was kind of a part horror film part action film part film noir uh, it just it had this really interesting combination of genres because essentially it was just a slasher film if you if you strip it down to its bare minimum you have this senseless killing machine that is unstoppable killing a bunch of people trying to get to the final girl mm -hmm. and and then she defeats it at the end well, a lot of it too was um a lot of it was guerrilla filmmaking yeah. as well like a lot of the scenes are filmed by james cameron you know just him a sound guy and arnold and they would go out and do you know scenes really quickly out in the streets of la and just film really quickly because they could get, you know, didn't have enough money to like get permits oh, and stuff right. like that. So that's why, um, you know, a lot of that movie just has a really gritty, almost like documentary style feel to it. I, I once saw Gail and Heard give a speech in, in Orlando, actually. And, you know, of course, she was married to James Cameron at one point, but she co-wrote the first Terminator film and was the producer on it. And she talked about that guerrilla filming and at one point, apparently, they were down in the streets of Los Angeles. And in L.A., if you're shooting a film and don't have a permit, you can be fined and at the very least shut down. And sure enough, a cop came up and was asking if they had the permits. And it turned out he was a Arnold Schwarzenegger fan. And so they pulled Arnie aside and had him talk with the cop. And lo and behold, he the cop drove away very happy to have met someone that he uh you know he looked up to and uh <laughs> they continued filming um another story was the scene when he arrives from the future naked um they they had the street kind of blocked off the other end of the street however was a train track and apparently a, tr a commuter train came by and filled with people that were looking out the window <laughs> <laughs> Oh geez, I actually didn't, never there, heard that story. Is, is, is was it for Terminator or was it might it might have been for another movie? But you reminded me of a story where um, they were doing some guerrilla filmmaking and some cops came by and they told them that they were uh, student filmmakers, 
and they were allowed to go to they were let go but i don't know if that was terminator oh, or i'm not something sure else. yeah yeah i'm not sure either that's interesting though i had i didn't know that story about the train and that's according to Galen Hurd. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> well, the interesting thing about the original is, you know, on the DVD, there's a like a sit down interview with James Cameron and Arnold, and they're talking about the the casting. And he originally wanted Arnold to play Kyle Reese, right? But when Arnold read the script, he was drawn to the Terminator character because the Terminator was supposed to be just this anonymous face that can just walk out of a crowd and kill you i believe he wanted lance hendrickson to play the terminator mm-hmm. and lance ended up playing one of the cops that was yeah. you know became a victim of, of the terminator yeah but then when you think of arnold he's anything but an anonymous face in the crowds so right. then it, it changes the dynamic of that character completely but at the same time now that it's happened you can't think of anybody else playing the t-800 there's been different terminators but that incarnation Arnold was the perfect casting for it. Well, it makes sense, too, that uh, someone his size has a metal endoskeleton underneath. So, um, you know, that, that kind of was logical. Mm-hmm. Well, originally, the uh, the movie company wanted O.J. Uh, um, uh, Simpson, Simpson yeah, yeah. to play the Terminator. But at the time, James Cameron was like, nobody will believe this guy is an unstoppable killer. <laughs> <laughs> One Ford Bronco chase later, and... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's been so much fun going back and watching, because I hadn't seen the original in several years, and it still holds up, and everything from you know the opening credits with that ominous Terminator theme, because it was redone for T2, and I think that one's more iconic, but I actually yeah. prefer that soft, like, for T1 with the moving text across the screen and then it zooms out real quick and forms the Terminator. Well, the interesting thing about that that music is um, the originally the music, I think the beat of the, the song is in four, four, but the, uh, the, was, uh, he, the guy had accidentally uh, written it, I think in five, four, but it actually ended up, kind of working even though it's off time and that's why it sounds so discordant but they kept it because it sounds so cool well brad fidel did the music for the first two movies Mm -hmm. and you know the the original film i think it was on a casio keyboard or something you know very very down and dirty low budget you know just and that's why it sounded so electronic because it was literally just on a on a keyboard um for the second film he was able to incorporate an orchestral score for it so but it works for that first movie, though. Oh, yeah, it yeah. sounds like there's something about that film that even though it's low budget, it doesn't feel low budget. It feels like kind of claustrophobic. And it's such a, like you said, like a noirish type of, of movie. And that music really works for it. It's kind of like a, like Blade Runner, how that music really yeah. works for that universe. Yeah. And, you know, part of the scope of the film was the the special effects also you know um stan winston's effects were were really pretty phenomenal for for the budget although i have to uh point out the head from hell when the terminator is uh operating on his eye and yeah. this, the mirror <laughs> shot and it's a it's a puppet of arnold and ooh, <laughs> even back then it looked rough you know? <laughs> 
<laughs> but, but it you know, works though for some reason. It works, and and of course the stop motion Terminator at the end when it's just the skeleton, you know, chasing them. Uh, that was a mixture of puppetry and uh, stop motion. And but that's that actually that scene was the first thing that when I first saw that movie that scene with the stop motion when he's walking down the hallway. Mm-hmm. I remember that scene just terrifying me. (laughs) Just, you know, how everything, it's just so herky jerky and it looked mechanical and it still works to this day. I still love that scene when he's walking down the hallway. Well, there's one little detail in that scene that I really like because earlier in the film, the Terminator's leg is damaged. Yeah. And as he's walking towards Kyle and Sarah, he's kind of dragging his leg along. And so it even adds to it being all kind of jerky and almost stop motion looking like it, it makes it more logical in a way. I think it's just little details like that, that I like. And I'm, I'm a big Ray Harryhausen fan and that's definitely a throwback to, you know, like his, uh, you know, fighting skeletons and and Mm -hmm. whatnot. So anytime you throw something like that in there and I'm, I'm with it. That whole sequence at the end of that movie was great when the 18 wheeler explodes and then you see the full endoskeleton terminator it gets Kyle, you know, sticks the homemade bomb in the torso area. It explodes. The top half of it's still moving, so it's crawling after Sarah. So it's like you cannot kill this thing, and then it finally happens. So the yeah. the suspense from that until the actual death of the Terminator was phenomenal. Well, and the thing too is that um, Linda Hamilton's performance really sold the ending of the film. Yeah, you know, mentioned before. Her acting at the beginning of the film I, I was not great, um, but as the film progressed, you can definitely see the character changing, and she's not just, you know, here's just this waitress that's just, you know, is just kind of there, and you really feel like she's fighting for her life, and that she has become a warrior by the end of the movie, mm-hmm. and I really give her credit for that, and, and of course, her performance in T2 is just phenomenal yeah oh yeah absolutely the interesting twist in that is you know kyle reese being sent back in time Mm -hmm. and he ends up you know falling in love with sarah and their child is john connor right who sends his father back in time to 1984 which creates an interesting time paradox so i i was actually thinking about this today do you think originally John Connor had a different father and the first change to the timeline was Kyle being his father. I think the, the uh, concept of the first movie is that there's a continuous time loop and that you're, you're caught in this loop and it's going to exist forever. So, you know, which came first, the Kyle or the John, (laughs) um, Who knows? Because one is dependent on the other and there's always that time loop. It's only in T2 that once the the characters are aware of that time loop that they're able to break it and make a change. But I think Sarah is caught in that time loop in in the first movie and she doesn't see any way out of it. So she's just doing what she can to, you know, to raise the uh, future leader of of, of humanity. That's interesting. I mean, I the time loop theory makes sense. It was just something that, you know, I, I thought of earlier today. Like, was that the first change? But no, it, it makes sense for it to be T2. Which, I guess, speaking of T2, 
you know, Terminator 2 came out in the summer of 91. And as we said earlier, it's widely regarded as, as almost as close to a perfect film yeah. as you can get. What was your guys' first experience with that? I and mean, you mentioned uh, watching it in film school. Um, I remember watching it. You know, after I watched T1, I immediately wanted to watch T2. <laughs> and from the very beginning, I was hooked in that movie. Everything from the acting, which was awesome on all fronts, in my opinion. I watched it again last night, and I don't know why, but a scene that really gets me into the movie every time I watch it is after Arnold steals the biker's clothes at the yeah. bar, which that whole thing is phenomenal. When he steps out and you hear George Thurgood's bad to the bone, <laughs> that whole scene is just awesome. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. When I first saw T2 in the theater, um, as I said, there were a bunch of film students that were with me, and I was just in love with this with this film. And I was afraid because I figured I would be the only one that liked it simply because it was a sequel and a big budget sequel, you know, at that. And I was almost afraid to say, yeah, I liked it because I was I was just certain that everybody else would just rip it to shreds. And then it became, no, no, it was a good movie. And I liked it too. And then it's like, okay, oh, this is the most awesome movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember, I remember at the time before it came out, I mean, I, it was at a fever pitch when that movie came out. I, I was so hyped for that movie. I had the, uh, the Cinemascape, um, the T2 Cinemascape uh, magazine that was completely dedicated to the movie. Um, I, w I saw it tw uh, two or three times in the theater and, um, you know, I, had, I knew who James Cameron was at the time because of, of course, the abyss and aliens was one of my favorite movies at the time. And of course the original Terminator. So by the time T2 came out, just look, watch it. I remember seeing the commercials on TV and just being like, man, if I don't see this movie, I'm going to die. <laughs> Well, you know, at the time, that was the, I believe it was the biggest budget movie ever. And, you know, so you have James Cameron, who had obviously come came off of the original Terminator and then did Aliens, and then The Abyss, which which I loved, but it I don't think The Abyss quite hit the same fever pitch <laughs> that, that they were hoping for. But with his reputation from a from Terminator and Aliens, I think a lot of people were expecting T2 to fail. And, and especially given the fact that it was, you know, such a high budget movie and the fact that he just knocked it out of the park, you know, just really says a lot for his filmmaking. Um, but when you look at the technology that he was able to to introduce in that film, you know, the the morphing effects, which. You know, he tested the water, so to speak, with the abyss, with the uh, water tentacle. Um, but with that, playing around with that, he was able to do the T-1000. And, and of course, that wasn't all computer effects. It was, you know, a lot of Stan Winston practical effects that were mixed in there. But the fact that it's really hard to tell which is practical and which is computer effects, even now when you look at it, like, okay, I think that's, I think that's CGI. Um I mean, that just really says a lot about the, the craftsmanship that was in that film. Yeah, and you think about how great the effects were in that movie and that could come CGI. 
you know, people really give Jurassic Park a lot of credit for kind of bringing CGI to, you know, like, oh, this is the future of movies now. But I think it really started. I, I think T2 should get more credit for that because yeah. those effects are still incredible to this day. When I want to say T2 came before it Jurassic did. Park. Two years before. Yeah. Yeah, two years before Jurassic Park. Well, that's the point I wanted to make, too, is when everyone talks about effects holding up from the 90s, Jurassic Park's always the first mm-hmm. that everyone says. But I dare say I think the effects in T2 were, one, more of a challenge to do, and two, they just simply hold up better, in my opinion. Well, in talking about the effects, obviously we need to address the T-1000 yes, and just how innovative and imaginative that character was because, you know, you had Arnold as the unstoppable Terminator in the first movie. Well, what do you do for the sequel? You just have another Terminator come back and tell the same story again. Well, James Cameron is very intelligent when it comes to sequels. He takes the seeds from the original and then blows them out of proportion and just really, you know, does a lot of great stuff with the basic elements from the original. And in this case, making the the Arnold Terminator a good guy was kind of a stroke of genius. At first, when I heard that he was a good guy, I wasn't sold on it. But then seeing how you had kind of the small guy that was the villain and beat the Schwarzenegger Terminator <laughs> and just be this. He is the unstoppable force. Now um, that made the movie just so good. I mean, it just really elevated the the content of the, of the story. Well, and Robert Patrick did a great job mm-hmm. of playing the T-1000 in a way. Cameron took that initial Terminator concept yeah. of being another face in the crowd. Cause Robert Patrick, you know, he's not built like Arnold is. So right. he would stand out or he wouldn't stand out in a crowd. He would just seem like, a guy you'd pass by on the street or something, but which the T one thousand brings me to a point I want I want to bring up, and I want to hear what Steve has to say about this as far as storytelling. Okay, and in, in the first movie they established that living tissue can't go through the time machine. That's why, or right. li, li, only living tissue can go through the time machine. But the reason the Terminator can go through is because he's covered his metal endoskeleton is covered in living flesh now the t-1000 is completely liquid metal there's no flesh so right how was he able to go through the time displacement unit i honestly don't know and i i the only thing that i can guess because i haven't seen anything official about this um is that he trans he goes through time in the shape of a human in that form so my guess is that when he duplicates the human form, that somehow that liquid metal takes on the quality of living flesh. And, and that the, the time machine doesn't know the difference. It basically fools the time machine into thinking that it's living flesh, even though it's inor- inorganic. Yeah, I'll buy that. It's funny, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, someone actually brought that up not too long ago that I read on Facebook or something, and it's like, yeah, that that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, because we just assume, because we saw him appear from the that time bubble um, in human form. He's not a big blob of liquid metal. Mm-hmm. So it must be that because he's traveling in that form that that has 
that allows him to to travel. Yeah. I did want to bring up my two favorite things about this movie, and they're both kind of reflections on the original. In essence, we watch the Terminator, who was this emotionless, unstoppable killing machine Mm -hmm. in the first movie, become more human. Yeah. Because in the extended edition, his uh, CPU is reset to where he can become... You know, more like a human as far as he learning start things learning, yeah. and adapt to situations. Yeah. Also in the first movie, we see Sarah Connor evolve from this almost a victim, an innocent mm-hmm. victim, into you know the one who kills the first Terminator. But in T2, she's slowly losing her yeah. humanity. So in a way, she's becoming the thing that she hated. Exactly. She's more of an uh, inhuman Terminator than what the T-800 because she's going to kill becoming. Miles Dyson in front of his family. Yeah. It's like the Terminator would do that, but a human probably wouldn't. Right. At least you would think so. And then also the relationship with the Terminator and a teenage John Connor mm-hmm. was just, to me, the heart of the entire movie. Although the character was supposed to be 10 years old. Yeah. <laughs> it even <laughs> says it, it when yeah. uh, the T-1000 looks looks it up in the, in the police uh, computer and it said age 10. And I think the kid was like 13 when when, when they yeah. shot the movie um, and his voice was changing and they had to keep uh, equalizing it from yeah. scene to scene. And you can see like one scene, he looks really little. Another scene, he looks like he's about 15. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think they actually had to go back after all of filming. They actually had to go back and do. ADR on him because his voice had changed so much during the whole. And even that, his voice is kind of squeaky. (laughs) It's not the mic. Just everything about that movie is just phenomenal. Well, you know, I love examining that film structurally because just Act One is one of the most perfect Act Ones I think um, in film history. If 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 I may be so bold. Um, but if you look at how the four main characters are introduced, it's like a puzzle piece that you go from one to the other and then logically to the next one to the next one. And then they all come together in just such a perfect, efficient storytelling means. And, and then once they're all together and we know what the conflict is and the story begins, um, I mean, it takes off from there, but just, you know, how every character is introduced and and developed and then the, how the conflict comes comes in it's just it's really really nice when it really picks up from the scene in the mental institution mm-hmm. when all f- the four main characters all are in the same place yep and one of my favorite shots is dr silverman when he sees the t1000 <laughs> go through the gate the little <laughs> plastic piece just falls out of his mouth <laughs> Like that needs. Go ahead. Like like Steve was saying, just the way that movie's written, the way it's structured, is just it should be taught in script writing classes, like storytelling classes, and so much happens in that movie, but it doesn't feel um, convoluted like a lot of movies do that try to put that much stuff into one movie. It just it, it feel it, everything flows so perfectly into the the next thing, and nothing feels out of place. There's not a wasted shot in that movie, and even when you go back and look at like the the ultra, you know, there's been 800 different directors cut of the movie that's come out over the last 20 something years, 
but you look at you could put every single cut scene back in that movie and they still work yeah they, they still fit perfectly within the story it enhances the story instead of just feeling like it's just fat that was cut for a reason mm-hmm. exactly like the whole scene that they did with uh you know cutting his head open and using it linda hamilton's twin sister to accomplish <laughs> that scene and resetting the uh the the chip in his head like that whole scene was cut from the theatrical yeah. version of that movie and you put that whole scene back in and it still perfectly fits it within the movie it doesn't take away from anything no i would agree with that so we mentioned the time loop and this yeah. is where things start to kind of unravel and where they actually change things because they learn that miles dyson is the one who initially developed skynet because in a way using the technology from the original Terminator because part of his arm as well as his damaged CPU was taken from, you know, the actual robot body after it was killed in the factory. Once the story is told, they decide, okay, we're going to just destroy all evidence and make sure no one follows his work. And it really, it developed an ending that, I kind of got a little choked up with yeah. when the Terminator, you know, they killed the T-1000, they throw the old chip in, the old arm, and then Arnold says, no, there's one left, and then right. points to his own head. And you see John start to break down, doesn't want him to go, and he as he descends in the lava and you see him give the thumbs up as he... <laughs> Which he, I always thought was cheesy, but... <laughs> it, yeah, a little bit. I mean, there there are some cheesy moments in that film. Oh let's, yeah, let's face it. You know, the whole hasta la vista baby. Uh, no problemo. Things, it was just yeah. I mean, that's it's corny, but it it works in the film. But but yeah, I mean, what you're saying about that though is kind of getting back to the theme of humanity, where you know Sarah Connor has basically lost her humanity and kind of regains it through through the machine and watching this T-800 become more human and what's more human than self-sacrifice. So him sacrificing himself for humanity at the end of the film is really the ultimate piece of him becoming human. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, she even says it herself that she starts to realize, I mean, even before the whole Dyson part where she tries to kill Dyson like she starts to realize that this machine that that that, John, that is protecting John is like the best father he he's yeah. ever known you know a machine and they have their their you know John and the, the terminator are are building their relationship together and she starts to like she starts to question what is you know humanity and what is you know what is it to be human? Well, and the thing too is that you know, from at the beginning of the movie, she and she says it in the psych ward. You know, when they're recording her, that she believes everybody's dead. You know, there's no reason to not kill people, basically, because they're all going to die anyway. And so yeah. she knows the future, and it's weighed on her so heavily that you know she has kind of snapped psychologically. And, and that's part of the reason or large reason why she has lost her humanity, because she knows what the future is going to be by the end of the movie. When she realizes she has changed the future, there's no fate, but what you make, 
it that has helped her regain her humanity and realize there is hope for the future that that we can you know the the future is not set in stone you can change things when she says it at the very end if a machine can learn how to be human yeah then maybe we can too i think it's the very last line of the entire movie mm-hmm. yeah and you you mentioned that whole last part where you know he he talks about um there's still one chip left and he points to his head and and lowers himself into the lava that's where my problem with the beginning of dark fate <laughs> comes in and i don't know if you're ready to go into that yet if, uh, if... well it, it's it's my problem with basically every iteration of the terminator after t2 you know because when you when you look at what terminator 3 rise of the machines did it basically did the same thing that alien three did to aliens that it just completely negated the whole theme of that previous film. And I don't well, know what it what is I was about to say the, the beginning of dark fate, totally alien three, this franchise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought about that too. Um, but, but, but looking at T three specifically though, you know, the, when the theme of, or one of the major themes of T two was there's no fate but what you make, and you have it in your power to change your future. And then T3 comes along and says, eh, no, you'll delay it, but uh, the inevitable is still inevitable. You, there's nothing you can do to to change it. And, Judgment days today. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's still brought about Judgment Day. And that was the major problem I had with that. Well, one of several problems I had with that movie. Um I liked seeing Judgment Day on screen, but it, yeah, it would have been better, I think, if they had just brought that in and said, okay, here's what Judgment Day actually is. Um, but it, the the whole idea that, well, and let's not forget that T, T3 killed off Sarah Connor. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. She was dead at the beginning, so it kind of alien threed it. To where you know here's our protagonist and uh, yeah she's just because she didn't want to do the movie again without James Cameron um, yeah well just she's dead yeah no big deal and you know now the shift is on to John as the protagonist and it's just it's the same plot all over again except this time the villain is a female that's really the only big difference. I mean, I know that the, the ro- the mechanics of the robot is a little different. You know, there's a, a endoskeleton with some sort of like with a T 1000 coding, T 1000 coding. Yeah. Um, but it's still, it, it wasn't that good. <laughs> well, speaking on T three, I actually saw that. I remember distinctly, I saw it in theaters. Yeah, me too. And I thought, it was okay. I mean, there were parts of it that I thought were kind of cool, but to me, I sum up T3 in one sentence. It's T2 without the charm. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it just felt, like, like I said, by the end of the movie, it was like, oh, okay, it finally has a purpose for existing. But up to that point, I didn't care about, I mean, the actor who played John is okay. Nick Stahl, he did a fine job. And I like uh, Claire Danes in it. But, Ultimately, it didn't have the sense of urgency that the other two films had that, you know, yeah. they were trying to stop humanity or stop, stop, you know, the judgment, the day. judgment day and save all of humanity. Um, 
yes, that was an element in, in T3, but by that point it felt stale. And to me, it felt like a fan film. Yeah. And you know, they, they were focusing more on the action for action's sake. Oh, let's, we just got to have a bigger action scene without it having the emotional weight that James Cameron was able to bring to even the action scenes. Why, why is this scene existing? You know, what, what's the, what's the threat level? What's the conflict? You know, what's the risk to the characters? And it just felt like another big budget action film with, you know, it's just like, okay, we can watch, you know, might as well be a Michael Bay film. There's a lot of car crashes and explosions and whatnot, but you didn't really feel the connection to the characters like you did in the other films. And I think the filmmakers knew this and they undermined the, the whole series with their humor that they tried to throw in there with the Terminator yeah. putting on the star glasses. Oh, look, it's him putting on glasses for the third time, but we're making fun of that scene. And so once you start being getting into self-reflective humor, making fun of yourself, then you've basically ruined the whole um, spirit of the film. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, no, that's that's very well said. I think the dynamic was also different because I watched T3 again as well. This Terminator's mission wasn't necessarily to protect John from other Terminators. It was yeah. to make sure that he and Kate Brewster survived Judgment Day. Right. But to me, it was, like you said, it completely undermined the story of the first two films. It's like, this thing's going to happen anyway. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to help you survive it. And I was really hoping that when they when they announced T3 that it would be set in the future, you know, in, in, during the future war. Um, let's see how John Connor sends Kyle mm-hmm. Reese back. Let's see how that life is to lead up to the point to where the first movie begins. And which is part of the reason why I like Salvation so much yes. <laughs> that yeah, they too. finally <laughs> broke that mold and it's like, OK, we're not going to do that formula anymore because it's it's tired Let's actually set it in the future. And with the ending of T3, with it being actual Judgment Day and John and Kate are in a protected environment, it makes sense that, okay, what happens to them next? Yeah. And I mean, I was a little bit disappointed that they recast the roles, um, but it is set several years later. You know, actually, it's set like... It's set in 2018. 15 years later, I yeah. think it's supposed to be. Um, although... What's interesting is that uh, Claire Danes was replaced by Bryce Dallas Howard, who's two years younger than Claire Danes. I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> but yet she's playing the character 15 years later. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that, like you said, that's why Salvation got a lot of flack. Yeah, but I actually really liked Salvation compared to you know T3 and Genesis because it was cool seeing it set entirely in the future war and even bringing in, you know, the Marcus character, I thought added a a cool dynamic and a cool twist to it where it's not just, Oh, we're going to see, you know, the T 800 built for the first time. We're going to see Kyle Reese get sent back to 1984. It it wasn't entirely like that. It added some new layers that I thought was cool. Well, it was basically leading up to the meeting of Kyle and John, not John sending Kyle back in time. Mm hmm. I still think that movie deserves a second look from 
from people who kind of shit on it at the time, I really think that it's better. It's way better than people give it credit for. I, watched, I actually just watched it again recently. I just watched it again last really night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really good. It's a good Terminator movie. Well, the thing is that uh, um, there were several things going against it. Um, one was the fact that Arnold was the governor of California at the time. So he did not return as an actor. They did include the, um, the prototype of the T 800 that included that they did a CGI rendering of, of his face and body. Um, but I think a lot of people had that expectation that you can't do a Terminator movie without Arnold. Well, that's nonsense because there are multiple types of Terminators out there if you just keep doing the same story over and over again, what's the point, you know, do something different, bring something new to the, to the series. And, you know, I think it was a great idea to focus on this different character. In this case, Marcus was supposed to be the the main character and he was a human that was turned into a, a, a cyborg basically. Mm-hmm. And without him knowing it until halfway through the movie. And then once he, becomes aware of it then you know he's able to use his special powers you know accordingly but um but the other drawback was casting christian bale as john connor they initially wanted him as marcus and as legend has it he said oh if you're putting me in a terminator film i'm playing john connor and then when he saw that john was not the main character and was actually just a very minor character that was more seen in the distance. He forced them to rewrite the script. And so John Connor and Marcus ended up being basically equal weight in the film with, with John, you know, kind of taking a little bit heavier role simply because of the actor playing him and the character. Um, and that undermined the story. Um, and the other thing that was going against it was McGee as the director. Um, he was yeah. known mostly for Charlie's Angels and his arrogance <laughs> and and his name, <laughs> which was kind of obnoxious that he just goes by McGee. And a lot of people, when they saw that he was directing it, just dismissed the movie out of hand. And unfortunately, he that that just the the reputation of the director undermined the film because he did a good job directing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he tonally it was very serious. There was very little just dumb humor like in T3 and he created a, a kind of a Mad Max world. I mean, the look of the film was different than what came before. It it really was a standalone film that was completely separate from everything else and audiences kind of rejected that because they didn't you know they they i think they like what they're familiar with and they were not given that and they they just kind of rejected it without really appreciating what was good about the film which is unfortunate because as a fan i would think you'd want to naturally see the story unfold to where it's supposed to go and logically it's supposed to be set during the future war i remember after watching t2 I wanted to see a futuristic war film yep. you know, set in that universe, but don't deal with the impending threat of Judgment Day. It's already happened. Let's see what happens when John Connor's forced to lead the resistance yep. into this war. And I, you know, I, I watched it again um, earlier today, 
And I really enjoyed it. Like I said before, I think it gets way more crap than it should. From there, it's the, the last sequel before we get into our spoiler-filled Dark Fate discussion is Terminator Genesis that came out in the summer of 2015, and it happened. Yeah, yeah. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, that happened. Well, it happened. Right. I'm not against the concept, and, and I didn't hate the movie. Let me put it that way. I just, you know, it, it's my least favorite of the series, but I didn't hate it. Um, but ultimately, this was their first attempt. Well, actually, counting the, the TV series, the Sarah Connors Chronicles, um, which which I haven't seen. Um, and it's very good. That's what and, I've heard. And basically, it was made between T3 and Salvation, and it, it ignored the events of T3. So when you go from Terminator 2, there was one timeline that went to T3, another timeline that went to Sarah Connor's Chronicles, and now a third one that goes to Dark Fate. So there, there must have been a lot happening there with uh, offshoots of different timelines. Though. I'd love to see the diagram of this. <laughs> I think Crack did one one time, and it's it, it's insane. It doesn't make any sense. But um, so Genesis, basically, the concept is, oh, the future robots sent a T-800 and presumably a villain back to when Sarah was a child, which actually makes a lot of sense. Why only send it at one point in history? Why not send multiple uh, Terminators just in case one fails, another one could, you know, could succeed at another point in time. And so the Arnold version had protected her as a little girl and ended up raising her. And so now when we are introduced to her at the same age and point in time as the first movie in 1984, um, she's a different character. I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. What I'm not okay with is kind of what uh, the 2009 Star Trek reboot did where, and more specifically Star Trek Into Darkness, where they reference things from another timeline that takes place in the future of the point that they're at. So when you have a T-1000 show up at the point when the first Terminator movie is taking place and very similar things are happening as what happened in T-2, which was set 10 years later, it makes no logical sense whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. I agree with Steve. I didn't hate that movie, but there was just, there was so much wrong with it. And one of my biggest problems with that movie was, uh, the casting. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> the, the, well, the, the, what's her name? Amelia, Amelia Clark. Clark. Yeah. I, I thought she made a really good Sarah because she, she kind of looks okay. like Sarah Connor yeah. from 1984 or Linda Hamilton a bit. Yeah. Yeah. But the guy they got to play Kyle Reese, like Michael being was a great choice to play Reese. Cause you know, he's small, he's skinny. He look, he has that. And he's intense. You know, he's, he's a handsome guy, but he also has that thousand yard stare. Like he yep. could have been a nom, you know, like that kind of look about it. It felt he like he like, had been raised and lived in the future. Yeah. Yep. 
And then the guy they get to play Kyle Reese and Genesis looks like they pulled him directly off of a men's health cover. Jai Courtney, (laughs) yep, who also played um, in in the last Die Hard film as uh, um, John McClane's son. He was also Captain Boomerang. He was, which he was good in that. Yeah, yeah, he's returning. He's returning in uh, um, James Gunn's sequel, Mm -hmm. but. Oh my God. Yeah. He was just so miscast. I mean, here's this big buff guy who basically has kind of a bland expression on his face the whole time. And it's like, that is not Kyle Reese. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they had Anton, Anton Yelchin play him as a teenager in salvation. And I totally believe that Anton Yelchin was going to grow into Michael Bean. Yeah. Yeah. I do not believe that Michael Bean morphed into Jai Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was horrible casting for that. I mean, there was some cool parts in the movie, like when they jumped forward ten years, and and the the Terminator, uh, the Arnold Terminator, had you know. Uh, uh, kind of built an underground bunker and was waiting for them to make the 10 year jump or whatever. And which I mean, by, was, by, by the way, the pilot episode of the Sarah Connor's Chronicles, okay, Sarah Connor Chronicles um, involved a 10 year time jump. Mm-hmm. They, they were cornered in a bank and the hero Terminator um, was um, had, assembled a time machine that had been stored away in uh savings deposit boxes and they jumped from uh 1997 to uh, to 2007 when when the series was yeah. actually shot nice. so so yeah genesis kind of stole things <laughs> from the tv series <laughs> <laughs> well my biggest problem with the movie it had a what i thought was a very interesting plot twist with John Connor essentially becoming an advanced Terminator. Yeah. But they gave it away in the trailers yeah. before the movie. Yeah. That actually that was, would have been oof. interesting. But then I watched, you know, the last trailer for it, and then that happens. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. I, I was very upset because even when I saw the trailer, I thought, okay, it's obviously a misdirection. They're 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 trying to throw something in in the trailer to to be titillating that is different in the in this actual movie. No, oh, it, he's he's the villain. He's yeah. the Terminator now, and I can understand them wanting to do something different. But here you have a character that is mythological in the first movie. You know, we never see John in the first movie. Now we see him in the as a child in the second movie. We have him grow up in the third, and he's a leader of the resistance in the fourth. So. Four movies, you've built up this whole big mythology where he is the salvation of mankind. And you just throw that away by making him a Terminator. And somehow, psychologically, the character is okay with that. So, uh. (laughs) (laughs) that's actually a very good segue. Although I do really like the first the, the opening scenes of that movie where they're they're breaking into the the time displacement unit to send Kyle Reese back. Yeah. yeah. Like I I that's you know I've always wanted to see that. Yeah, and cool. they, they finally showed it to us. So the, I, I was happy yeah. with that. And like I said, there you know I didn't hate the movie. There there were some good parts to it. 
and and that was one of them. And I like the recreation of uh, scenes from from the first movie. But, we had the shot for shot remake of yeah. the Terminator's entrance in 1984. Yeah, and the fact that you had two Arnold Terminators. Yeah, that there, was one, cool. You know, it, it was kind of neat. But um, you know, the new one and the old one, and and I like that. You know, they did establish the fact that the skin on Terminators will age if you allow them to, which obviously was used in Dark Fate also. Well, speaking of that, you guys ready to dive into Dark Fate? Sure. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So I do have to preface this with spoiler warning. If you have not seen Dark Fate, stop listening now. (laughs) Go see the movie, then come back and finish the episode. So they announced that Dark Fate's coming out, and I'm actually really excited for it because, you know, it's... James Cameron returns and Linda Hamilton's back. And I was like, okay, this might actually be good. And I was actually really excited for it. I went opening night. uh, I went actually on Halloween, which, quick side story, I told Jason this on our Nerd Cave Retro show. There was maybe 15 people in the theater when I saw Dark Fate. I normally stay through the end credits. I was looking at my phone. I would look back up and I'd watch the credits or whatever. By the time it was over, I looked up, and I was the only person in the room. The same thing happened to me. Really? Yeah. And they weren't playing any music or anything after the movie was over. Yeah. I walk out. There's no one in the hallway, because I saw it in IMAX. Yeah, me too. I I walk in the lobby. No one's in there. And I'm thinking, you know, I've watched enough horror movies lately to know that this is a bad idea, but I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) I walk to the other side of the theater, just because I'm curious. There's no one there. <laughs> and this is only at like 10, 15 at night. So it's not extremely late. And I walk out to the parking lot, including my car. There were, I think, four in the wow. entire parking lot. So it's like they just cleared out. Well, bear in mind that that was a cold night also. True. So, you know, and it was Halloween. People had, you know, parties to go to and everything. So, I, I you know, I, I give them that. But I want to see it Friday and in IMAX, and about half the theater was full. And this That's was a 8.30 showing. So it, I was, yeah, it was it's very disappointing. And according to Hollywood Reporter, the movie is bombed. Yeah, I've actually yeah, got the... I went Saturday night at the 7 o'clock show, and there were maybe 12 people in the theater. Yeah, I've actually got the, the opening numbers for it. It opened domestically at $29 million. Yeah. And the, and the budget was 185. Oof. Now internationally, it's doing well. It made 79 million. Yeah, but in, even in China, though, it, yeah, it, it hasn't broken. It's doing better, but still. I mean, it's number one great. at the box office for the week, but. Yeah, is... but I don't. I don't know. I think maybe people are just burnt out on Terminator because they've kind of screwed it up so bad the last couple of movies. I mean, with, with the exception of Salvation, which people still didn't like, but. At the same time, it's like ever since T three, it's yeah, it's, it hasn't been very good, and I think people are still kind of shy about you know wanting to see it. Well, it, it kind of gets back to what I was saying about what I feel made Salvation good was that they broke the mold, and then in Genesis they reformed the mold. They went back to this formula of okay, we've got the future savior of humanity and a villainous Terminator is sent back through time and a good whatever um, is sent back in time, also the hero to protect the the human. And 
it's just it's the same story and, and unfortunately dark fate has the same plot with one little thing at the beginning yeah now i loved the opening sequence where they were showing the opening titles and splicing in yes. footage from t2 of yes. you know sarah and the in the psych ward i thought that was really cool yeah and it was a good way to set up okay that's this is where we left off but but before yeah. getting into the big twist here let me just say that i think that part of the reason why people did not go to the theater to see it was because they felt like this is just another rehash that it's not anything fresh mm-hmm. and which there's a lot of fresh material in this movie yes. let, me put, yeah. let me say that so okay so you mentioned that john connor had been built up as this yes. savior of humanity sarah and john have stopped judgment day and then roughly in the timeline about two years later a random terminator shows up and and kills him yeah my initial thought was well that's why we haven't seen him in any of the trailers yep what was your guys' immediate reaction to that? Um, well, I had read a review that gave away that twist, which, which I got to admit, though, it, it, I mean, it's the first scene of the movie, so the whole movie kind of depends on it. So they kind of had to say what happened to him, you know, because that Sarah's character is completely dependent on that, and really the whole plot of the of the movie is because. You know, he's not important anymore, basically. Um, I was kind of left cold myself from that scene. Um, I liked the way it was shot. I think that the de-aging that they did on both Linda Hamilton and, and Eddie Furlong, where I, I'm, I'm assuming that they had um, a young actor as the body of him, and then they digitally placed Eddie Furlong's face on him and de-aged him to be about 14. Um but I mean, it was sad. Um, you know, I felt for Sarah. I think they they you know got across her emotions fine. But me as an audience member, um, part of it was because the way it was shot, it was such a distance. You know, we're seeing things from Sarah's point of view, and John is away from the camera, and he's there. It's like, oh, cool, a child, John, neat. Oh, he's shot and killed. Oh, okay. Um, I just wasn't emotionally engaged with that. It was like, oh, okay, this is something that happens. Um, intellectually, I was a little bit irritated because like what J- Jason said before, it was Alien 3 all over again. Let's take a, yeah. a character that we cared about in the previous installment, which in this case, <laughs> going back to T2, ignoring yeah. the other three. Um, and another thing about it is they break their own rules. You know, because the reason that the, you know, the, 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 terminator and terminator 2 the reason he drops himself into the lava is because there's because skynet will still and judgment day will still happen as long as his computer chip exists well so that's, that's what their belief he, is yeah yeah and then of course this Ar- uh, arnold terminator shows up and like where the hell has he been like where was he sent to where did he come from when was he sent to and if he if they stopped Judgment Day and Skynet never exists, how could he have been sent back after the events of Terminator Two? No, I'm, I'm. My belief is, if I understood the film correctly, that he was sent back to a different point in time than the T1000. Why they were sending? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if he was sent back the same time the first 
a T eight hundred from you know the first movie was sent back. Just he was sent back at a different point in time to try to kill John or whatever. Um, you know, and, and maybe he he was sent back slightly different time period than the T one thousand. You know, because I'm assuming the T one thousand was was done after the initial T eight hundred was sent, um, and he just it took him that long of a time to complete his mission. Yeah. So because he just literally comes out of nowhere. So I'm assuming that, you know, without any other uh, clues that were given that he just, it just took him a while to track him down. And once he tracked him down, he carried out his mission and they, Sarah thought that, I mean, she didn't know that there was another Terminator running around. And so she had this sense of complacency and thought that they were safe and what they weren't. But if he still exists, then doesn't Skynet? No, eventually? because why? Why would it exist? Because nobody else knows that the Terminator exists. You know, you would have to have the 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 human scientists track down the Terminator to be able to get the chip out of him. So obviously that didn't happen. So no, I don't I don't see where there's a correlation there. But they've then they've created a total paradox. Then I, I don't see the paradox. If there's no Skynet, then he was never sent back, and he he came from nowhere, basically. Right, he came from an alternate future, just like Kyle yeah, Reese I mean, came if, from if an alternate future. <laughs> if there's such a thing as uh, you know multiverse, like well, I could, I could deal with that. In this universe that they've created, there has to be because yeah. otherwise, when T two ended, if they had changed their future to where Kyle would never have been sent back because there was no reason for him to be sent back. Then John would cease to exist and then all the movies would disappear. So you, you, we have to assume that in this universe that there are multi multi universes and Genesis actually set that up and they did establish that. Yes, there are multiple timelines that exist because you know, that was the whole point of that movie. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm just assuming that that this particular Arnold in dark fate was sent back at some random point in time and wasn't capable of tracking John down until this moment. Yeah. Well, and Sarah even touches on it that Skynet had sent multiple Terminators to different times. Yeah. And not just... You know, the T-1000 wasn't the only one that was hunting them at that particular time. And it's like you said, I think it just took that certain Terminator that long of a time to find him which actually brings up the question was that t1000 the only t1000 in existence was that the prototype or did well, they have multiple they T-1000s? actually arnold does say that it's the prototype is it did he yeah. okay All yeah right. so yeah, i forgot about that so okay so th- there's a reason why they didn't send another t1000 to kill yeah, him because it was point. the only one yeah okay well that's kind of risky to send your only prototype. <laughs> 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 just pushing all your chips in but no also, my other thought was, because I remember seeing in one of the previews for Dark Fate, when they meet up with the the aged Arnold Terminator, yeah. when Sarah says, as soon as this is over, I'm going to kill you. Mm-hmm. But then I'm thinking, but your memory of the Arnold Terminator should have been good because he protected you and your son. Yeah. As soon as John Connor was killed, I said, I bet when they run into the older Arnold, he's going to be the one who killed John. And that was the case, which I thought given the story, I thought was the right way to go. And and the thing is too, I mean, 
as a fan of the series and you know it, it was like i said it seeing john get killed kind of left me cold um i didn't really have feelings one way or another um if the movie if this movie had been made closer to terminator 2 if this was the direct sequel to it i would have been angry um but given the fact that we've had how many different actors play John at this point? Man, I mean, yeah. it was great seeing Eddie Furlong's face back on yeah. that character. Um, but, or if they had created him as a character and spent, and we would spent some time with him and Sarah and then he's killed, I would have felt more emotional about it. But that's, it was just, the, that's the thing I was thinking about. I was like, they should have taken a little more time to kind of get us reacclimated with the characters, yeah. at least give us like a, a good five or 10 minute scene of the two of them, like kind of reestablishing, you know, why we like those characters. So. Yeah. And so in, in, a, in a certain perspective, then John wasn't a character. He was just, you know, almost a uh, means for, you know, it was a plot device in other words. So, which kind of, does a disservice to the character yeah. to a large degree. Well, especially because it was made to be such a big deal. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, almost the centerpiece of this entire universe is gone yeah. within a matter of five minutes. So we have one timeline where John lives, but Sarah dies. Another timeline where Sarah lives and John dies. And another timeline where they both live and jump 10 years into the future <laughs> to fight other Terminators. <laughs> Well, then after that happens, we fast forward, you know, 20 something years later to basically what I consider to be modern day. Yeah. We're introduced now to new characters. I believe her name was Grace, the Grace enhanced yeah. human, which I, I think her name was Mackenzie Davis. Yes. Who played her. I actually really liked her. Oh, she was great. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're in this trend now with strong female leads and you yeah. pair her with the returning Linda Hamilton, I thought was a fantastic combination. Well, the thing is that, okay, you had three strong female leads in this. Linda Hamilton, Sarah Connor, okay, we we are reintroduced to her after, what, 25 years? Mm -hmm. And she still feels like the same character. And, I mean, she's just, oh, she's so good in this movie. <laughs> um, but... We, we can see the continuation of that character to, you know, how she's evolved at this point. Um, we don't really need to go into her psychology because if you're fans of the series, you, you already know her. But she is the protector. She's the, you know, um, the warrior, if you will. With Grace, she's basically stepped into the Kyle Reese character that she has been raised and existed and fought in the future war and been physically transformed to become enhanced and with, you know, kind of becoming a cyborg in, her, in herself to some degree. Um, and we can see it in her eyes and we can see, we know what that character is. And of course they spent a lot of time with flashbacks slash flash forwards. <laughs> However that works in this uh, screwed up time timeline. Um, and so we get to know that character quite a bit. And, and I maintain that she's the protagonist in the film mm -hmm. um, because she really is the one that owns the problem and has been developed the most. Um, 
the other character, and I forgot her name. Danny. Already. Danny, thank you. Um, she is basically the stand-in for Sarah Connor from the first movie, yep. where you know she is the key to human humanity existing and beating the 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 machines in the future, and she starts off as kind of the innocent and becomes the warrior by the end of the movie. And we see that, that arc and that evolution. And, you know, I think that all three characters are unique and, and really stand on their own. And there's a really cool dynamic between the three of them. And you don't get the feeling at all that any of them is just a fan service or that, you know, we're just throwing them in there because we need a female Terminator type of type of situation, you know, a la Ghostbusters. Um, it, it really feels like these are these are the characters that we want to have on screen. And I loved every minute with them. Well, I love it, too, because it's a different take on the future now that. Skynet doesn't exist anymore. Uh, Judgment Day, as we knew it, never happened. But because of AI, you know, even though it's a different AI, it still comes to the same conclusion yeah. that humans are the threat. So it's still <laughs> sort of the same, same future, just different names, basically. People are going to create the means to kill themselves one way or another. Yep. Yeah. And Arnold, Arnold's Terminator even says it in the movie. He says he, you know, he calculated what, like a 72% chance that humanity was going to crumble at some point. So that's why he was collecting all those guns. <laughs> well, and Sarah Connor even says it, you know, when the AI is brought up, she said they never learn. Yeah. So it's yeah. one way or another. It's like the same, you get to the same destination. You just take a different route. Is essentially what it is yeah. to me. So, it, it in in some respects, I don't feel. I mean, there's there's certain parallels from this movie to Terminator Three. Um, obviously, the inevitability that Judgment Day will happen and that the war against the machines will happen. Um, I didn't feel like this one was such a slap in the face to T Two, because a there's so many years difference, be, you know, between the two that. It's like, okay, this this is gone. This is built up into a different manner as opposed to, oh, you think you beat Skynet? Fooled you. You just delayed yeah. Skynet. Now it's like, yeah, it's still the same thing but different. But it is it is a different threat. And it's like, yeah, it's inevitable that humans are going to do something along these lines but it's not exactly the same. It's not Skynet. You did defeat Skynet. Unfortunately, there's another threat out here too that yeah. is going to take the place of Skynet. And so it doesn't um, really put the entire T2 plot um, on the shelf to where it's like, yeah, it, that didn't even matter. Yeah. yeah. Well, I liked that this movie, the pacing of this movie as well. I thought it was paced really well. Yeah, me too. Mm -hmm. It had a very Terminator 2 pace to it. It wasn't like a... It, it, like Terminator 3 just felt like a, a once the movie started, it was just like a freight train of just <laughs> one action piece after another. And there were no kind of 
quiet moments where you got yeah. to have character development. And this movie was loaded with character development. Oh, there was. Mm-hmm. And I read I read some review that was a very negative review and they basically said just the opposite that oh, it just, you know, there's no character development just in one action. It's like, what do you, what did you see the same movie that I saw? Yeah. Cuz <laughs> you know, the whole beginning when they introduced Danny and you know they develop her and her brother and the father and the whole family dynamics and it's like i like these people and the fact that they're mexico and you have to read subtitles because they're speaking spanish okay that's kind of interesting it's a different take instead of just hearing hasta la vista baby (laughs) and (laughs) and then that whole dynamic with with their jobs that you know she and her brother work at the same factory and there's machines coming to take the place of, you know, the workers. And she actually takes the initiative to stand up for her brother. So right off the bat, she's taking the initiative and taking action as opposed to being a passive character. And yeah, yeah, I thought that was a really, really nice way of establishing her even before she meets Grace or Sarah. No, I I totally agree with that. Uh, one other point I did want to throw in back to the the John Connor twist. Mm-hmm. In a way, Skynet ultimately beat John Connor right. because it was almost like Skynet's you know last act of yeah you might have changed the future, but as a consequence you don't get to live a normal life. Yeah, which is kind of funny going going back to the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Um, it opens with John in school, in high school, and another Terminator shows up and it actually takes the place of his teacher. It's like the substitute teacher. And he cuts open his leg and pulls out a gun from the leg and opens fire in the classroom. Oh, I remember that scene. <laughs> yeah, which yeah. <laughs> would not fly today. No. <laughs> but John barely escapes. And lo and behold, another student is actually the good Terminator named Cameron. And mm-hmm. it's a it's a girl, yeah, and um, Summer Glau, Summer Glau, thank you, and uh, who's excellent in the in the that's what I've heard. Show. Um, and then she is fighting with that Terminator, and they you know are one step ahead of him, and you know, so it's, it's it's just it's, it's a good show. But I find another parallel there that you know again you have this other Terminator that was sent back at another point in time to try to kill John. Mm-hmm. And it's events that happen after T2. So there's already precedence for, for this happening. Yeah. What did you guys think of Rev9? I loved him. Oh, I thought, <laughs> like, he is the perfect, like, um, evolution from what the T1000 was. Like, this is, I, I realized that he's sort of kind of like what, um, what's her name was in t3 Kristana Loken. the, the t yeah. the tx Kristana Loken, yeah the tx but man his character like he just that dude was sinister man <laughs> um <clears throat> well he there, was perfect there were several things i liked about it um getting to something that i can see criticism for it is he is kind of a retread of the t1000 and a retread of the tx um Instead of silver, you know, mercury looking thing, it's black goo that he, you know, morphs into. So there's a little bit of a retread from that. Nanites, actually. Yeah. Oh, that's true, too. But um, the fact that when he separates from his endoskeleton, his endoskeleton is still a Terminator and the outer shell becomes a Terminator. So there's it's like a two in one special. Um, 
I really like that. I thought that it, it heightened the the intensity and, and the threat. Um, but Gabriel Luna did a fantastic job as that character. I yes. mean, you just you believed in him every second that he was on screen, and he was truly unstoppable. Um, you know, the T- TX, I, I don't remember ever feeling like she was a huge threat. She was just, yeah. oh, okay, she's just another robot. Um, even in Salvation, they didn't really have a single villain. It was the war. And yeah. a lot of the Terminators, which there was actually, watching it again last night, there was one scene that kind of made me get on the edge of my seat um, regarding, a, it was like a, half terminator that was crawling across the desert to to try to get to uh to john but they could kill the terminators very easily and so it kind of undermined the threat of them in that film because it's like yeah there's so many of them that almost like aliens that oh we don't have this one non-unstoppable alien anymore there's a lot of them that we can easily kill so that kind of undermined that i don't recall Genesis, <laughs> the, the, the villain. The, I I know he was the alternate T one thousand, but I, I just I don't I don't recall. Yeah, I can't ever. really remember either. Um, well, I think the, the what they did with the, the Rev nines, and you see them like uh, there. Uh, there's a flashback or a flash forward scene where when Grace gets hurt and she's dying. Yeah. That scene. Yeah. When you see the the Rev Nines of full on like war action, and they've got their endoskeletons, but they also their their black goo nanites or whatever are turning into like these append like uh, you know Cthulhu type appendages that are stabbing. And, oh yeah, you know yeah like all the, the just, all the tentacles. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I I thought that that was very scary actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I almost wanted to see that a little bit more with the Rev Nine in you know that was chasing them, um, but I, I liked also the fact that he was intelligent, which you know he should be since it was an AI, but he was using current technology, being able to tap into the computers and into the video uh, surveillance systems and being able to track them, mm-hmm. and I, which another thing I, a lot of times when you have a series that had started like in the nineties and now they're trying to bring it back. There's a sense of uh, time out of place type of type of feeling to where, yeah, it, it was, it worked in the nineties because it was of that time period. And now you're trying to redo it and it just doesn't quite fit. The X-Files was kind of like that. I, I liked the, the recent two seasons, but it still felt like they weren't quite, in the present mm-hmm. yeah. this movie felt completely in the present you know the use of cell phones the use of you know how you know sarah kept <laughs> which i don't know if this would work or not but she kept it in a uh, <laughs> potato chip bag because <laughs> yeah. you know the transmission they wouldn't be able to track her that way and even the um arnold has a has a makes a joke about that it's yeah like, well, if you're gonna keep it in uh, a potato chip bag keep it in the potato <laughs> chip bag <laughs> <laughs> but but it really feels like it's of today yes and yeah and it, and it made the the rev nine that even more uh scary and sinister because he was tracking them using drones and stuff and you're like how do you get away from this thing like he knows yeah. where you are where you stick your head out somewhere and he, he knows where you are it's like you know and more than was, yeah more than any of the other sequels beyond t2 
it captured that same feel from the, the Cameron films that the villain is unstoppable. And, and to some degree, I mean, like Grace, she even said, we can't defeat him. We just have to run from him. Mm-hmm. And where they finally decide, no, we need to make a stand against him instead of just running. And, and, I, and I like that. Well, and something I liked about the Rev-9 too is that it kind of got back to the roots of what a Terminator is, and that's an infiltration right? You know, robot. Because one of my favorite scenes in T2 is when Arnold speaks into the phone to John's foster mom, who's actually the T-1000, yeah. and he says it in John's voice. Right. I love little, like, you know, little details like that. Which, which they did again in this yeah. movie <laughs> to, to good effect. I, I, I got yeah. a kick out of that part. What did you guys think of uh, of Arnold's performance, seeing him back? Um, I thought, well, okay, well, the, someone, and I think it was on my Facebook thread, actually, criticized it because they felt like the movie took a sharp turn uh, when he was introduced. Um, I... I was kind of 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 two minds because in some respect I didn't miss him at all during the first half of the film. You know, the film would have worked with no problem if he had never been in the, in the movie. That's going to be a point I bring up later, but go ahead. However, (laughs) I liked what they did with him and I think his performance was fantastic. I honestly don't recall much of what he did in Genesis. He was there. You know, they, oh, he's old. Okay, cool. The fact that they made him a drape salesman, <laughs> Carl, <laughs> Carl, <laughs> and but they gave him a family, and we were talking about that—the whole idea of of humanizing the Terminator. And now there is some debate as far as how he evolved to that, um, which I, I believe that the movie did explain, and I bought it. Um, but you could bring up the fact that, well, in the extended version of T2, they had to go in and physically, you know, change the CPU in this one. He just kind of evolved on his own because the future changed. There was kind of, it was kind of vague on that. Well, well it, he said that he was no longer receiving orders from Skynet and he thanked Sarah for setting him free. Yeah. So I guess it must have reset because in the lore of Terminator, when the Terminators are sent out, they're they're sent out to read only. That way they don't do too much thinking on, on their own. And ones that do are set to, um, you know, that reset button, they can actually learn. Yeah, and, but, but I think this is the first one that ever mentioned that they're receiving orders from the future. I don't recall yeah. ever hearing yeah. that before. Well, it does address, you know, a question that, has never really been talked about is what does a Terminator do when it completes its mission? <laughs> yeah. You know, just what, what, what does it do? Does it just deactivate stand itself? There. <laughs> yeah. Like what, what does it do? I mean, it's, it's mission, you know, in the general sense is to kill people, but in the specific sense, these particular ones had a very specific job to kill an individual and anybody who got in the way. So once that job is done, yeah, I, you know, and and I liked how the fact that Sarah did with, when she changed the future that it, it set him free to where he was able to become more human, and he infiltrated humanity to become a 
human. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was really cool that he had a family. And I love it. it was like, she doesn't, she didn't notice that you're 400. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have a and physical I don't know if relationship. You guys this, but there was a scene in the movie when they're waiting on Sarah's uh, guy on the inside, the army when waiting on the EMP yeah. devices. And there's an uh, Arnold's uh, Carl is sitting there talking to Danny and he's talking about draperies. Like, you know, the problem draperies can completely change the aesthetic of the room. <laughs> so, you know, in, in every movie that he's in, he plays a different character. Um, you know, the T in T3, he was kind of a duplicate of the character in T2 without the warmth. (laughs) He was saying he was just kind of, okay, he's there. So he's kind of back to robot. He was there for a very specific objective and didn't deviate from it. And you didn't feel any of that humanity come through. Um, Genesis, you know, he was the father figure for Sarah, which I thought was an interesting dynamic where here, his character killed her son and she wants him dead, but she's able to tolerate working with them because she did see the change in him, but he was useful for their own mission. Um, but so I thought that was a really fascinating idea that they brought up. Uh, and this, and one, one of the things I really appreciate about this movie was there were concepts like that, that were, that were introduced. I would have liked to have seen more development overall, but then it would have been a three-hour movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I fully appreciate people who, when they cr- bring that up as a criticism that, oh, well, this was just there, but they didn't develop this part or that part. Right. But what can you do in a two-hour time period, yeah. you know, unless you want a really bloated, bloated film? Um, but they did have some quiet moments with him and his his wife presumably and and his adopted son and well even the story of why of why he took them in yeah you're taking them from what was an abusive relationship and he's almost like their caretaker right in a way they're their guardian right exactly and i mean i would have liked to have seen just a movie with them yeah Yeah. (laughs) like he's like i'm a good provider Um, (laughs) says a couple other things he's like and i'm funny (laughs) <laughs> and I'm very funny. As, as a friend of mine said, uh, when I when I mentioned that to him, it's like, yeah, it could be a, a sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> the Terminator family. <laughs> I, you really, like, towards the end of the, you know, towards they were getting close to the final, you know, showdown, like, after the, the plane, uh, you know, he's fighting the, the Rev-9 in the plane, and, you know, he comes back and his arms ripped off and everything, and... <laughs> You just, you're just, I, I fell in love with that Arnold version yeah. of the mm-hmm. Terminator. Like I felt like I didn't want him to die much like the Terminator and T2. Right. And let me throw this out there too. The humor that was in this film was hundred percent Arnold. I mean, he was funny in this movie mm-hmm. and it wasn't the dumb humor from T3. It, yeah. Uh, him carrying the uh, uh, Sarah's casket and the cop said, you know, drop your weapons and the coffin. Oh, just, yeah. you're thud, <laughs> you know, but in this film, you know, him saying, I'm very funny too. You know, whatever yeah. the line is, like that actually is funny. I mean, his delivery and, and of course he's done comedies and sharpened his comedic timing and it didn't feel out of place. It felt like it was character driven as opposed to just, Oh, we need a joke here. That's 
jokey. Yeah. Um, Not humor for the sake of humor. Right. And it broke the levity or, or whatever, broke the, the, the tension, but, um, but not in a, in a stupid way. Yeah. By the way, if a sitcom were to happen, I would just call it Carl. Carl. <laughs> <laughs> like Steve was saying, like he really didn't need to be in the movie. It would have worked without him. But at the same time, I did like why he was there. Well, it, and because, you know, he was given Sarah the coordinates of the Terminators yeah, that yeah. were coming back through time, which was a plot of it. At first, when I saw that, that she had someone that was giving the, it didn't even occur to me, which is dumb because that was so obvious. Um, but then at some point when they were heading toward him, it's like, oh, yeah, OK, now this is where he gets introduced. So but it made sense in the context of the story that, you know, how did she find the Terminators that, that appeared. <clears throat> she alluded to the fact that there were others that showed up mm-hmm. periodically. So, which makes me wonder who were they all after? Because they're not all after Danny. That one specific one was, but were there other alternate futures where other people were supposed to take on the mantle that was originally meant for John? And, you know, so over the last 25 years, she has repeatedly fought Terminators that have shown up. And Carl has, because somehow he's tied in with whatever, <laughs> that, that, that didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. It's like, how exactly did he know when the time portals opened up? Um, but he did. He Some magic that he knew. And he was able to then text her the, the coordinates. And so that was his way of atoning for for killing her son because he ended and every text it, with for John for John. Right. And I guess it kind of goes to what you were saying too, Steve, that, you know, the Skynet could have just sent a ton of terminators through time. Yeah. Just like, just kind of like throwing spaghetti at the wall in case one failed or right. whatever. So, you know, as you go forward into the future, eventually these terminators are going to show up yeah. that have been sent back in time. And Sarah's there to greet them. Yep. Yep. Something I actually really enjoyed about the final battle, it reminded me a lot of the original film. Yeah. You when they think that everything's all over and Sarah who's <laughs> who's been there before says, "Yeah, he's not dead." Yeah. And then sure enough, you know, the Rev 9 comes back for one last attempt to kill Danny, which I the way that whole thing unfolded, it, it to me Overall, the film had a nice balance of elements from the first movie mm-hmm. and from T2, which I really liked. Well, and, and like I said before, it, it was a rehash of the same basic plot. You know, you have someone who is meant for greatness in the war versus the machines in the future, and there was a evil Terminator sent back to kill that person, and there was a protector sent back to you know to stop that from happening um you know we saw that in now five of the six films (laughs) but this one was fresh because of new characters that you know it was a new target and new protector and really the what they did with that structure was was really good and you know, would I have liked them to do have done something different? Absolutely. You know, 
I would have preferred them not to kill John. Maybe, you know, something else happened to him where he, you know, oh, he's out on vacation in the Bahamas or something. I, I don't know. But he well, was also on like what with they Luke. did with the Danny character, <laughs> sort of like you said, making her uh, sort of a hybrid of John and um, Sarah. And at the end of the movie, of course, Sarah and her are the only two survivors. So yeah. now she's going to go off and probably be trained by Sarah right, exactly. to become the new savior. And, and so and, he, she literally is the new John because she did that with, or, you know, in the, another timeline, she did that with John. And yeah. now in this timeline, she's doing that with Danny. And yeah. now, you know, if this movie had been successful, I know that James Cameron had said that he was had another trilogy that, well, they said the same thing for salvation. They said the same thing with Genesis. Now this is the third reboot that they've done. If you will, that um, they were talking trilogy and it's not going to happen because this one is not making enough money for them to justify doing, doing a further one, which is okay because this one ends in a, in a manner that it feels like it's an ending. Yeah. Could they do another T2, if you will, you know, where, okay, now we're going to go to Legion and stop Legion from happening. And that's, that's the big plan. Sure. They could do that. And it could be Sarah and Danny trying to stop the, uh, this, the new judgment day from happening. I would be happy with that. Any chance to see Sarah Connor on, on yep. screen. I'm happy with, um, is it, I, I love Linda Hamilton. But she has smoked entirely way too many cigarettes <laughs> over the past <laughs> 35 years. Like, I love her voice because I'll be so, back. it's so commanding. But at the same time, it's just like she sounds like almost like E.T. <laughs> at this point. I'm Sarah Connor. <laughs> I'm Sarah Connor. <laughs> it, it's Christian Bale doing, uh, doing the voice. Batman. <laughs> Christian Bale as Batman as, as Sarah, Sarah Connor. Connor. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of the uh, the two sisters from The Simpsons who were just always smoking cigarettes. Oh, yeah. I can't remember their names, but that's a great point because I, I've been this is the one thing that I've been waiting to bring up about this entire movie besides the beginning. If a sequel were to happen, I think with sacrificing himself to stop the Rev nine, this was a perfect swan song yeah. for the Arnold Terminator character. Yes. I think a- there will be no yeah. need to bring him back. Uh, and he even said it to his family. I won't be back. Yeah. Yeah. And that says it all that he knew that he was going to, have to Sacrifice do what himself. he could to stop this from happening and it would mean the end of him and there is absolutely no reason to have yet another Ar- old arnold yeah um you know it, it, i don't know um well that timeline doesn't exist anymore it's gone yeah that's true. True. Yeah, true and which which kind of explains why the rev 9 is not the T-1000 and is made of different liquid metal, a different material or nanites or whatever it is, um, because the T-1000 was never invented. Something else similar to it was invented. Yep. When he even says it to Arnold, he said, you know, we're made from the same thing. And Arnold says, no, I'm from something that failed. And so are you. Which a line that I liked. Yeah. So do you think this is the end for Terminator? 
I hope not. I would actually like to see another Terminator TV series, honestly. Yeah. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I really, really like the Sarah Connor Chronicles, but, um, you know, it ended after the second season kind of on a cliffhanger where they jumped into the future again and just, oh, we're in the future. And then the show ended. Yeah. <laughs> so never found out exactly what happened to them. Um, but it, which um, Lena head, head, Hedy, Headley <laughs> was yeah. a, a play from Game of Thrones. So we had two different Game of Thrones actresses that um, played Sarah at different mm-hmm. times. Um, I don't think, I mean, unless Linda Hamilton signed on to do a TV series, um, I, I don't know what, a series would be like unless we actually um <laughs> my phone uh when i said series it thought that uh oh, yeah. i was talking to siri <laughs> and it activated talking about ais <laughs> that's going to be the future is uh yeah. the iphone morphs into <laughs> legion <laughs> but i would like to if they're going to do a tv series have it set in the future war if if they could do one on a proper budget to, yeah. you know, to where it's not really chintzy. Um, yeah. I love post-apocalyptic anything. Like yeah. I love like the Mad Max series. That's what, I mean, that's why I like salvation so much. Like I like seeing the, you know, the ruins of humanity yeah, me too. <laughs> watching humanity, try to pick up the pieces and, you know, you uh, should I, see, I you should it. star in a film that uh, kind of has post-apocalyptic. Yeah. That'd be a great idea. Of, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I, Derek knows my love for the Terminator series. They can make Terminator movies for the rest of my life, and I'll go see every single one of them because I love that world. I love the mythology. Yeah. Um, I would love to see some one-off movies. Like, I would love to see – I have a, a the, the comic book, Terminator versus RoboCop. Like, I would love <laughs> to see just a one-off of that. <laughs> well, there's Carl. Yeah. I'm telling you, Carl. that would make a yeah. great sitcom. <laughs> You yeah. might as well just print money. <laughs> you know, speaking of, you know, Jason playing a post-apocalyptic character, have cast Jason as a Terminator. There you go. I've always wanted to play a Terminator. I would do that in a second. Steve can direct it, and I'll do Foley. <laughs> as long as we have some melons on hand. Yeah. I have to run by Publix and grab like 50 melons. <laughs> there was... Well, we have to what? save the, we, we should do the foley work first so that way we can save the melons for, uh, <laughs> uh, for craft services. And of course, your audience is sitting here thinking, "What are they talking about?" Oh, <laughs> uh, probably, but that's half these shows anyway, so it's fine. Uh, last two things I want to ask you guys: What do you think's the overall legacy of the Terminator franchise? Um, overall, I think it changed the course of filmmaking. Um, it changed how special effects were done and incorporated into, um, into films. And, um, that obviously propelled James Cameron into, you know, the filmmaker he is today. If assuming he ever finishes his avatar series, um, But ultimately, I think that the series kind of became an example of some good movies that should have stayed 
where they were because it, it grew long in the tooth very quickly. And, and, yeah. and, and again, I, I've said this before, but let me bring it up again that um, it, it relied too much on the formula and, you know, really could have benefited by breaking that formula and doing something else instead of just that same, same old plot. Jason. Yeah, I, I, I agree with Steve. I think uh, Terminator and Terminator Terminator two, especially really kind of uh, changed cinema as far as science fiction and science fiction storytelling, um, uh, special effects, things like that. You can tell uh, a very heartfelt, a very deep story involving science fiction. And I think it, it, I think if you look at these three movies, the, you know, the first two and this one as the true sequel to part two, I think this movie is going to be looked at a little more fondly uh, in the future. <laughs> um, I, I think that once that it hits home video, I think people are just staying away from the theater right now because yeah. it's like, eh. but when they, when they see it on video that they'll come to appreciate it. Yeah, you know, I, I think Terminator Three and Genesis are easily forgettable. Um, I think you yeah. can look at Salvation as sort of a really good kind of one-off from the Terminator franchise. But I think if you look at these three as sort of a you know the 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 actual tr- Terminator trilogy, I think it's a really good complete story from beginning to end. Which <clears throat> there's two things I want to say about that. One salvation is a direct sequel to T3 because um, John Connor actually acknowledges that this is not the same future that his mother told him about. Mm-hmm. So she had changed the future, just shifted it back a little bit. So, you know, there was, it was a new timeline that they were in. Um, yeah. But also, the fact that t- that Dark Fate erased three movies from the series, well, Genesis kind of erased the other two also, so eh, whatever. Um, I don't know. There's a trend in movies right now to, to do that. Halloween was a good example. Neil, Neil Blancamp uh, tried to do that both with Aliens and RoboCop. <laughs> um, just, eh, let's do a, a sequel to the original film or to the popular film and forget about everything else that came along. And that's a worrisome trend. Um, I, yeah. I hope that in Star Trek kind of did that a little bit, but not really because it was in a time loop, but it, it started the series over again. So everything that came before kind of didn't yeah. exist. Um, I mean, people hope that rise of Skywalker retcons last Jedi. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's another topic for it. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll save that for next month. <laughs> but but the thing is though that if if we keep on this trend of okay, let's just do a sequel to the movie that everybody likes and just ignore everything else, that does a disservice to the whole series, and I I don't I don't like that. Yeah, yeah, but you could also say within the Terminator universe. I mean, like we talked about, there are so many different timelines there. You know, if you look at sort of uh, alternate universes, like multiverse mm. sort of thing, you could do that sort of thing where you can just kind of say, OK, well, these these other movies are a complete different timeline. Right. That, you know, they happen, but they're in a different, you know, they're in a different universe. And that's the way I look at the Terminator series is that there there are all these different timeline offshoots that make sense in the mythology of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, Halloween makes no sense. 
Yeah, but I kind of like that last year's movie taking place after the first movie because all the ones after that are not not that great. And even H two O had rebooted the series at that point and had ignored the other sequels. So now, and that yeah. one's with Jamie Lee Curtis. And now we do it again with her. It's like, yeah. come on, you know, how many times are we gonna just okay? Well, we're just gonna do a sequel and just for, and and really, if you want to get technical the jaws series did the same thing uh jaws of revenge which is just you know oh, the absolute worst um f- ignored two and three so <laughs> we should do a roundtable discussion about the jaws movies <laughs> i'd be down with that I'll keep that in mind man three i watched three again not too long ago I'm sorry holy shit that movie's awful <laughs> <laughs> like so bad I, I oh god I don't even know if I could talk about it without vomiting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's save that for another podcast. Yeah, well, yes, <laughs> I agree with pretty much everything that both of you have said. I think when you look at the first two films, you look at groundbreaking cinema, great storytelling, and as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, when you think of the elite movies of their genre, I think you have to put definitely Terminator Two up there with aliens as far as being like when it comes to sci-fi and having that little bit of suspense to it, it's the top of the top in my opinion. But I think the franchise overstayed its welcome a little bit. I think it either should have stopped at two or you do a third one that is pretty much entirely set in the future war and you see these events unfold like Kyle Reese being sent back to 1984 and so on and so forth. That would have been to me the ideal trilogy. That being said, I do actually like dark fate quite a bit. I love that it borrows references that worked from one and two. I loved Rev nine and Linda Hamilton and Arnold were fantastic. I love this movie. I mean, like I said, I have some quibbles with it, but um, I just had a thoroughly good time at at the theater with it. And it's going to go in my collection, which I have not bought Genesis, but I will buy dark fate. Yeah. Oh, me too. As soon as it comes out on Blu-ray, I'm, I'm buying a copy of it. Yeah. Same. And then I'll, I'll just throw out there. Cause I know a lot of people will do this online. If I were to rank how I enjoy these movies, it, it, T2 to me is easily the best followed closely by the original. I would put this film, Dark Fate, as third. Then Salvation, T3, and then Genesis would be how I would rank it. Yeah, that's exactly mine. Yeah, same here. I I don't know which one I... I actually probably like Genesis better than I like Terminator 3. So I think Terminator 3 might be the one that's dead last. And and let me just kind of slip in the Sarah Connor Chronicles uh, between Salvation and... uh, T3. Okay. Yeah, I need to go back and rewatch that series because I only watched about the first couple episodes of the first season as it aired. Yeah. And then I kind of dropped off and never went back to it. Yeah, something I need to watch too. And I guess last thing, do you guys have anything that you want to plug? I know, Jason, you've got some stuff with your band coming up. Uh, yeah, my band, Falls from Grace, is going to be playing at the Biloxi uh, Civic Center, the Gruich Center. Uh, on November 16th, you can get tickets right now at the sound228.com. Uh, tickets are $15. Kids 10 and under are free. 
And also, um, I'm going to be appearing uh, for the, all the Pensacola peeps. I'm going to be at, um, what's it called again, Derek? The O'Reilly's Irish Pub. O'Reilly's Irish Pub on November 10th at, uh, I think it's 8 o'clock the show starts. That's part of Stinger's. And, um, yeah, Stingers, Stingers Comedy <laughs> at, at O'Reilly's. Uh, was it downtown? Yes, yes. Uh, O'Reilly's downtown. So if you want to go to that, tickets are ten dollars and uh, starts at eight o'clock. Well, um, yeah, Derek mentioned uh, earlier my short film survey uh, is now up to forty-five festivals across nine countries. We've won. Th- 13 awards and, or 14 awards and been nominated or re- were finalists or semi-finalists for 13 more. So it's, it's done pretty well. Um, we're looking at I, having another um, screening coming up uh, in December, late December. I'm sure. And I still cool. haven't won an award for best villain. What's up with that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so far the only uh, um, award was an honorable mention for uh, Gabby Faulkner. So which congratulations to her yeah. Um, yeah and just kind of throw this out there too i'm i've i know i'm tooting my own horn here and i apologize but um i just won best screenplay at the orlando film festival for my feature screenplay paradigm that's, that's awesome. awesome a lot of good things happening yeah and uh we've got um pensacon that's coming up in february and the pensacola indie fringe and comedy festival that's happening the first week in January. So, um, you know, get your tickets for both of those. A lot of good stuff happening around here. Well, guys, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. This was great. Oh, thank thank you. you. Thanks again to both Steve Wise and Jason Robbins for coming on the podcast to have that awesome discussion about the Terminator franchise. It's unfortunate that Dark Fate's not having that great of a run at the box office because I'd love to see where they go with the story. If that's going to happen or not, I'm not entirely sure. I would say it's probably not likely given the fact that it's lost so much money or is on track to lose a lot of money. But who knows? Stranger things have happened. But coming up on next week's show, I'll be reviewing the film The Lighthouse, which as I'm recording this, I saw the film yesterday, really enjoyed it, so I'm looking forward to chatting about that. I'll also be speaking with actress Hannah Race, star of the film Echoes of Fear, which will have a limited theatrical run actually starting this week, so she'll be stopping by the podcast to chat about that. So be sure to come back next week for that fun episode. But until then, you can check out past episodes of this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. And don't forget to leave a review. You can also follow me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast. And in closing, thank you as always to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. Their songs Late Night drive Through" and Light and Jazzy can be found on their latest album, Greetings from the Space Van, which is available on Google Play, Apple Music, and Spotify. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you once again to Steve and Jason. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I'm your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday. I'll be back.